Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello? Hello? <clears throat> Podcast Network Asia. Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities, eavesdrop on their communities, and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States. Their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. I know a lot of people were angry with me for publishing that, but I said you have to look at this demographic, right? From this angle, who are they? Do not look at them as from on the political lens. Why do they eat what they eat? Why do they practice what they practice? Why do they do what they do? This is the only way you can actually understand who these people are. Salam, dear listeners. This is Amina Rasul welcoming you back to another exciting episode of She Talks Peace. I'm here in Manila, uh, working with the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. And as part of my work, I, of course, scour the news, what's happening all over the world. And if, like me, you are worried about the rise of extremism in the world, you will be discouraged by the situation in the United States and the West. As you know, Mr. Trump, the former president of the United States, who has been identified by many analysts as a major source of disinformation and support for right-wing extremist groups, has been brought back to Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I recently read an article on uh, the BBC News about how Telegram has been used as a hub for disinformation, for conspiracy theories, terrorist activities even, and calls for violence during the pandemic. And uh, it seems to be going on uh, till today. Let me just uh, share some of the um, news with you. It was written by Richard Morris, a political reporter for BBC News. He wrote, that the United Nations, in a study that they did um, last year, painted a sobering picture of how the pandemic has fueled terrorism and violent extremism. Morris writes that the heavy-handed uh, enforcement of COVID restrictions, growing economic inequalities, and an erosion of trust in government 
coupled with a diversion of resources away from fighting terrorism, were among the factors driving the change. And these are all conclusions of the United Nations. And he quotes a researcher at the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, a gentleman named Jacob Davy, who's a UK counter-extremist uh, think tank writer. Davy also identified quite significant spikes in extremist activity and also conspiracy theories during the pandemic. Now, when you talk about extremism and uh, terrorism and conspiracy theories, we're not talking here about what's happening in, in Afghanistan and in the Islamic world. We're also talking about what's happening in democratic and capitalistic uh, nations like, like the United States. And I keep wondering, what is the impact of this trend here in Southeast Asia? Because in spite of all of the problems that we have, uh, we have armed conflict, we have uh, inequity in, in uh, some countries, still Southeast Asia has managed to be relatively stable and moderate. But thinking about what happened in Malaysia during their general elections in November of 2022, I could see what was also going on in uh, the United States as described by Richard Morris. In Malaysia, social media and WhatsApp blew up with hateful videos that promoted extremist ideas. So I thought, Perhaps we should invite our uh, my co-host, a familiar voice and face on uh, She Talks Peace, to tell us and give us her take on what's going on in Malaysia. Why did this? Um, why did extremist videos uh, populate the social media networks? So our guest for today is my dear friend Dina Zaman, the co-founder of Iman Research. Now, Dina is a writer based in Kuala Lumpur. She's written to my mind, she's uh, already published three books. She has appeared on international media and literacy festivals organized by Al Jazeera, BBC, the Ubud Writers Festival in Indonesia, and the Georgetown Literary Festival. Today, let's talk to Dina about a piece that she wrote in uh, for the uh, Malay Mail. And it's really interesting. She said she wrote about understanding Malayness post GE 15. So, welcome to She Talks Peace, Dina. One, thank you for inviting me. It's been a while since I've been on She Talks Peace. Uh, over a year, maybe? Two years? Um, well, yes. It only seems that long, Dina. Yeah? Only okay, seems but... that long. I guess you must be so overwhelmed with, with a lot of activities <laughs> in Malaysia, especially with the new administration. Since the last time we spoke, I remember telling you that 
the rise of ethno-nationalism in Malaysia is increasing. So, but is this something to be feared? So let's put it this way. I always look at everything through, not from the political lens, but more from the ethnographic lens, anthropological lens, to figure out, gee, what do you do the things that you do? And that was how I did all my work when I used to work in the media. I just wanted to know why. And oddly enough, you know, I actually befriended my interviewees. We are still me. I have friends who wonder, why are you friends with these people? But I'd like to think this. I mean, we may not agree with their ideology nor their politics, but at the end of the day, we are all human. Right? We all want similar things. Dina, you're um, talking about the Islamic Party? Pass? No, not Islamic Party. Not necessarily. I'm talking about the Malays, whom everyone, in, you know, including a lot of people in Malaysia who are like, oh, oh my God, they're voting pass. They're voting this. Mm. Actually, I mean, it's not as clear-cut as that. So a few days ago, we had a meeting and uh, Altaf and I went off to KLCC, beautiful area and all. <laughs> we walked smack. Very, into a very pricey shopping center. Oh, very. But anyway, <laughs> after we had our, I don't know, overpriced Starbucks, hot chocolate and all, <laughs> we walked straight into a demonstration by Hizbut uh-huh. Tahrir Malaysia. Yeah? Uh-huh. In Malaysia, Hizbut Tahrir, right? despite its links, in Malaysia is very grassroots. It's more humanitarian, okay? Of course, the name HT itself is freaking everyone out. Oh my God, we've got terrorists here and all that. That's right. I mean, weren't they sort of linked to extremist uh, yeah. I don't know, but in Malaysia, it's basically about Malay rights, Muslim rights, yeah? Now, I'm not being an apologist for this. I'm just giving you the background to it. The okay, men, go who were protesting, right? This Hizbut Tahrir men. When I looked up to them, I went up to the crowd, they were basically, you know, working class men. The men that you probably see at a little, not a restaurant, but what we call warung, you know, street hawkers, stalls and all, right? Where, where they uh, serve the best food, actually. Yes. And who were very concerned about how is it that in Sweden you can actually burn the Quran? This is not the way. You want to talk about democracy, free speech, you don't burn holy books. And of course, in their, you know, in their discourse for them, it's you shouldn't be burning the Quran. But in a larger picture, right, I can understand that all holy books, holy texts should not be treated this way, all in a right. religion. Yeah. So let me backtrack a bit. So when I put this out on my Instagram, and you have to follow my Instagram. Uh, I will, I will. Yeah, I, everyone panicked. Oh, my God. Do the Taliban's have arrived? And I went, no, the Taliban's have not arrived. They've always been here. Now, back to my article. Now, I think, I mean, you know the politics of Malaysia, right? Now, why did people do this? Why did they all vote for Perikatan Nasional or PAS? Why not Pakatan Harapan? This is not about, you know, PAS versus uh, ni, na Pakatan Harapan. You are talking about an evolution of a Malay demographic, uh, which is not urban-centric, but in other states. When I say that, they're not all, well, not all of them are penniless, some of them are teachers, some of them are engineers who prefer a life out of the, you know, out of the city, 
And I'm sure that happens in the Philippines. Where they said, you know, you agree, don't agree with this. Okay, one, we're Muslim, so you have to support an Islamic party. Two, you know, in KL, you guys have really crazy politics. You know, it's really, really toxic. So here we have everything that we need. We don't have to worry about food security. Three, what you see is this, that the Malays themselves, and a lot of them have been educated abroad, but chose to stay in their states instead of staying in, you know, Kuala Lumpur or Penang or Johor, yeah? Who educated abroad and said, okay, we were exposed to the Islamist thought when we were studying abroad. And now, of course, in the last recent 10, 20 years, they were exposed to Islamist thought in local universities. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and now they're thinking, okay, as we evolve, this is what we are. Uh, we are not the Malays that were the creations of Dr. Mahathir's time or even the mm -hmm. prior to Dr. Mahathir. Where we're aiming for a better life economically. Yeah. Yes. So this whole thing, when I looked at it, you know, and I know a lot of people were angry with me for publishing that, but I said, you have to look at this demographic, right? From this angle, who are they? Do not look at them as from on the political lens. Why do they eat what they eat? Why do they practice what they practice? Why do they do what they do? This is the only way you can actually understand who these people are. Yeah. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. That article really, really sparked a lot of, wow, I had such a headache, Amina. <laughs> it's really interesting because the ones who really got riled up were yeah. not my non-Malay friends. My non-Malay friends probably thought, okay, this is their war. I don't want to get involved in it. I think. I'm just assuming, okay? But my urban friends, middle class, upper middle class, mm -hmm. uh, you know, English-speaking, English-educated Malay mm -hmm. friends. Oh, I mean, uh, they really flipped. They actually belittled them. I said they are uneducated. I said they're not uneducated. Look at where they come from. Maybe they speak a bit more Malay than everyone else, but then they are out of the, the city. Mm -hmm. But they have the internet. They are well-read. And I said, I am not defending them. But you need to go to the states to see, to, to the rural areas to see how things have changed. You know, And I can tell you this, I mean, a lot of my city friends, right, Malay, Chinese or Indian, right, they're all leaving the KL, uh, KL by the droves because they said it's a simpler, better life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So... Where did this come from, you know? 
you're looking at an evolution of the Malay demographic, as I said earlier, okay? So maybe the 60s, 70s, right? There was a huge group of people who went to United States, Europe, and they were very secular. Came back, yeah, we're going to go to nightclubs. There were also those who were exposed to Muslim Brotherhood. Uh -huh. You know, to yeah, uh, people yeah. like uh, yeah, people who created forces, right. and forces, and all that, and they came back and they said, "Oh, we don't have that in Malaysia. We don't have mm -hmm. this kind of proper Islamic education." Then, okay, yeah. what they had is probably what you call pondok pondok, sekolah pondok agama, very you know mm -hmm. little, tiny tiny ni. But when they went overseas, they realized, "Oh, you can formalize this yes. and bring this back to Malaysia." So when they came back. Yes, they were all beneficiaries of the uh, government scholarship. I met many of them. They went to Oxford. They went to Nottingham. They went here. They went there. They all speak British English. Okay, some okay, or many of them are in Kuala Lumpur and they lead very good lives. Some decided, okay, I'm going back home, right? So these people, seeing this, you know. They said, okay, we're going to bring this thought. Okay, we're grateful to the government. There's some of us who like the nightclubs and the nightlife a bit too much. But the rest of us, we are holding on to our Islamic roots. Yeah. And they brought this back, right? Yeah. And it started. So what they do is, you know, basically it's like, you know, maybe it's like chicken pox. It start growing here, <laughs> everywhere. Mm -hmm. Little cells, okay? They said, and they said, okay, this is how it is. Over the years, when you had Amno. Right, we I'm not saying yes, we're fighting for Malay rights, this right, that right, and all that. Okay, well, you know, they became richer and richer and richer, but they neglected one thing the heartland. They will go and talk, right. da, 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 we'll give you a little bit here, a little bit there. Now, this is where PAS came in, or any other small groups. They knew PAS, the Malay heart, yes, and also one thing about PAS, yeah. One thing which I noted, and not just past, but any Islamist organization, mm -hmm. there's a big difference between Islamist and Islamic. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I'm learning this now. Is that one of the things is that to become a Muslim, you've got to be a good humanitarian. Right. So most Muslims that I know who are involved with, you know, organizations like Ikram, Abim, and so forth, they yes, do so a lot of groups and yeah. professional groups. Yes. And these, because of their thinking, you know, they're like, we are communal, we have to help people. That is how Islamist parties, organizations have won the hearts of a lot of people. Yeah. I was also thinking the educated uh, Muslims yeah. who came back and brought in um, Islamist uh, yeah. education. Right. Is it also possible that they were reacting against what they saw to be um, uh, Western society yes. that was going to lead them to perdition and lead yeah. uh, our communities to perdition. And perhaps they saw the same thing happening in, in Kuala Lumpur, yeah. especially true. with all of these scandals affecting your political leadership, yes. you know. Yes. This is interesting. Among my friends who are Islamists, right? Okay, who, who you know, who are part of Amanah, a political party, right? They don't see a problem with having a Chinese leader, a non-Muslim leader, because they say we want things to work out. Yeah, um, and there are some who says no, we don't, we don't, we cannot have non-Muslim leaders. 
But all this is a reaction to what you see. I mean, you talk about Malay rights, you talk about Muslim rights, but you're also very corrupt. So this right. is also a reaction, okay? Mm -hmm. In some ways, it's an evolution. So it's parallel, you know, like, okay, doesn't matter. We're Muslims, we'll go ahead, all this, you know, this is the Muslim country. At the same time, people are saying, those who are very political, are saying, we're not going to put up with this anymore. If it's anything yeah, that they have done, because they understand young people, well, maybe not well, they may not, you know, they may not be popular, but they understand. That is how they got onto TikTok. I tell you this, I mean, this TikTok thing was like, boom, and like, whoo, they're on TikTok, you know. Everyone was lagging behind trying to get onto TikTok and figuring out how to do this. The messaging was frightening. And I went, look, I looked and I went, oh dear, this is so not good, you know. But, and you know how young people are now that, okay, I shouldn't be patronizing because I'm older, but, you know, it's a different world now. Your attention span is based on one, two seconds, ping, 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 oh, yeah. dance, dance, dance. And, and, and netizens generally are young. They're the ones yeah. who who really devour content on TikTok and, right. and uh, Instagram, not Twitter, yeah. evidently. Yeah. Yeah, so then what happened is that they, okay, the Islamists got on this. I think they hired, or maybe it's your own people who are saying you have to believe in this. If not, you know, Habib's coming. That actually frightened a lot of young people I know. A lot, many of the young people I know don't necessarily come from middle class backgrounds. They're good people. They're working as civil servants. They come from, you know, humble upbringing, but determined to make a better life. And they're going, Oh, this is scary even for us as Muslims. What do we do to stem this? How do we counter these narratives? But what we saw was enough to frighten the whole of Malaysia. You know. On that note, I met some people the last few days. And one is Islamist, the other one secular. But we, we talked. And he told me, one of the things that may help Malaysia is this. So it's not going to be easy, uh, you know, Amina. You know in Malaysia, right? Now, unlike Thailand, unlike the Philippines, unlike Indonesia, where you have a single stream school and then your private schools. In Malaysia, you have government schools, mm -hmm. which are predominantly in Basa Malaysia, and you have vernacular schools. So when you have all this language chauvinism, it actually, what do you call that? Creates that, you know, that, that, that gap. I speak Chinese. I'm not able to speak Bahasa Malaysia. Oh, I can. It's pidgin. I speak Chinese. Uh, I speak Malay, but I can't exactly speak English. And in Malaysia, what happens is this: in schools, right? You are zoned out. Okay, so that means if you live in this area, you go to that school. <clears throat> and there have been many cases where, let's just say, okay, for instance, you go to this school. Okay, Amina, mm -hmm. and if you don't, you score straight A's your grasp of English is not good, okay, despite your mm -hmm. straight A's. Now, how are you going to enter the workforce? That's right, yeah. yeah. And a lot of our neighbourhoods in Kuala Lumpur and the rest of Malaysia, if you look at the makeup, the, 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 demo, you know, the racial makeup of these this areas in Malaysia, they tend to be predominantly this race, that race. So mm -hmm. how do you talk about integration, you know? Language chauvinism is another one. Now, how do we unite? Can, if let's just say Anwar or whoever decides, all right, everyone's going to speak in English, right? Bahasa Malaysia is a national language, but the language of business will be English. English, yeah. right. 
like how we did many years ago, like my time. Mm-hmm. Can we revert to that? Let's um, talk about that a little more. You yeah. have got um, Datuk Seri uh, Anwar as yeah. Prime Minister. And uh, in his previous elections, he was supported by different uh, ethnic yeah. groups, um, political parties with different ethnic groups. Um, so he has access to yeah. this different uh, uh, political, in- political influential groups. Right. Your government is still a rich government and therefore able to implement programs uh, should the government come up with a cohesive program for integration um, and, and uh, do it well. I mean, you have a good civil service. And what I'm thinking, Tina, in the yeah. Philippines, uh, we have got hundreds of uh, vernaculars. All right. And in our public school uh, system, when you're just starting out in, in public school, a yeah. teacher can teach you in, in the vernacular so that reading and writing becomes easier. As you progress, then they bring in the national language, they bring in um, English. Yeah. We are a poor country compared to Malaysia, but the Department of Education, the Ministry of Education, has put it as a mandate of the department that peace education should be incorporated into the teaching. So teachers have to be aware. And I'm just wondering whether Datu Seri uh, Anwar, uh, because at one time when he was uh, Deputy Prime Minister, he was also Minister of Education, right? Would it? Would he? Would he, Dina, uh, be able to have some reforms in your educational system that would allow more of this coming together, this reunification of the different uh, peoples that are in Malaysia? Is he going to, to do that? Amina, we're already having problems, yeah? A few days ago, right, there was a school in Johor, multiracial mm-hmm. school, and there was an utter mm-hmm. uproar. And I couldn't even make sense of my WhatsApp because I mean, what on earth is happening? Okay, that's one. Yeah, why? Because the school decided to, for the Malay Muslim students to have extra workshops. Now, initially, the school thought, okay, maybe it's extra workshops about religion, you know. Mm-hmm. But no, it was actually to boost up their studies in other classes. So uh-huh. the non-Muslim parents were saying, what makes them so special? My kids also need boosting up in their grades. That's right. Why must it only yeah. be? And the Ministry of Education hasn't been able to settle that in the best possible way. Two, look, I know the Minister of Health, uh, Education. We're not, I mean, I know her. I respect her work, okay, as an activist. Mm-hmm. But I think she's in way over her head huh? doing me. Uh, becoming the Minister of Education, she will have to work very closely with the civil servants on this. That's she right. She comes yeah. from a different background, totally different background. Now, how are you going to apply that to government schools in Malaysia, which are multicultural, which have different needs, different demands? I can tell you, I think Anwar, right? So this is what we all tell each other, our friends, okay? Okay lah, he's already got what he wanted. He's a prime minister. I wouldn't want to be in his shoes. He's got a lot of problems. The racial division 
not just among the students, Amina, among the, te uh, the teachers. We get reports, we get calls. So I'm going, wow. You know, it's like a Pandora's box. Okay, he said he's paying off. He's asking Goldman Sachs, you pay back. We got the payback all out there. So, okay, that's great. And then he's made this little boo-hoo with, you know, the daughter. All right. But I think, I mean, it doesn't look very healthy, you know. But okay, it's been two, three months. He became minister in November, December, January. It's been two months. We've got February, right? What? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Are his opinion ratings? Is he doing well in the eyes of uh, I think the electorate? His PR is pretty good. He's doing the mm. right thing. But mm -hmm. we're all also like waiting to see like, okay, is he all right? I mean, he seemed to have impressed a lot of people when he came like, when he said, okay, we're not going to renovate PMO, which is great. Uh, oh, I'm going to be just wearing this. We're not going to be wearing expensive shoes. He's wearing this chapal, this shoes, mm. you know? Um, and I just thought, you're making the right moves. Is he on TikTok? Is he, does he have an uh, Instagram account? No, he has an Instagram. So that day he was doing CrossFit. So we were like, oh, okay. <laughs> but I think he's got a lot of work. His cabinet has got a lot of work in front of them. Yeah. Tying up your uh, the, the study you've done on yeah. uh, being Malay and yeah. how this is now influencing uh, real politics. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, something that the political leaders in Malaysia have to really be wary about. Yeah. You, you, you mean the, the, the studies that have been done by the UN and by all of these other uh, Western analysts, and you also looking at how uh, fundamentalist extremist groups have been so good at using social media. So yeah. my question to you is how come governments with all their resources are not as good in accessing using social media and putting out content that can at least provide a counter-narrative. I think, Amina, to be fair, right, I think the civil servants in the Malaysian government have a lot on their plates. Uh, we recently met a ministry, you know, and they have so much while they express their problems. And yes, they also want to counter these hateful narratives. They also say, look, we're limited. We have to do modules. We've got to train teachers. We've got to do all this. Things like this need to be outsourced. Sorry. I mean, there's so much one yeah. can do to outsource to a social media company, mm -hmm. right? But I don't know. I mean, I guess people are not putting the money into where it is. They should get... Uh uh, Gen Z uh, to populate public yeah. information outfits in each ministry and let well, these young people handle handle the, the messaging. Because I think your government, like my government, when they put out 
uh, information about what government's doing or the position it's taking on an issue. They create a statement and they right. send it out tr the traditional way. Email the statement, uh, put right. it on, a, on Facebook, and hope that it gets to disseminate itself. But maybe yeah. you and I, we're in civil society, we're in uh, the private sector, non-government. And the, what you're painting in, um, in Malaysia is something that worries us as well here in, in the yeah. Philippines. And I think in, in all of uh, ASEAN, you would see that tendency towards the extreme right yeah. uh, creeping in. Yeah. And I'm just wondering um, if those of us who are in civil society who have more flexibility in uh, action, what is it that we can do to provide a counter-narrative? Is Malaysian civil society doing that? Uh, one, to do that, we need money, 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 money. That's one. Uh, money yep. makes the world go around. <laughs> around. Yep. Two, I think, Amina, to do this, right, we will, this is, we have to take a whole of society approach, you know. I think I've told you with the shrinking space of CSOs in Malaysia, right? Um, <laughs> You know, I mean, a lot of us are burnt out. I am. You know, we can only do so much. So we've got to figure out a way where we can use a whole of society approach to countering narratives. The thing with Malaysia is there are just so many silos and gatekeepers and God knows what. Oh, I can't do, you can't do this because I represent this. I, you, I can't do that, da, da, da. No, you can't enter my territory. I mean, how on earth are you going to get things done? You know? So to me, okay, I'm just very jaded here. Iman's been around for eight years, right? And you think, sheesh, you guys are still arguing over your turfs when we have prob you know, problems, right? Um, it's going to take, it's not just about money. Okay, let's just say we get one million USD. It's still not easy to get the resources. Uh, look at this, Amina. This uh, WPS, World Peace, uh, in a Women Peace and Security Agenda. We've been right. talking about it for the last two years. I can right. see right now that it hasn't gained any traction here. Maybe a bit here, mm -hmm. maybe a bit there. You know, mm -hmm. I have tried talking to civil society and it's just flown over their heads. And you're like, you need to have women, youth, everyone involved in this. Mm -hmm. So I think with CSOs in Malaysia, we really need to reflect back and see what is it that we can do on this limited shoestring budget that we have. Two, how are we going to get this message across? We work too much in silos, you know, too much in silos. I have actually said, and through my own volition, I mean, I'm not saying it's a perfect thing. I've been, there are, like you, I'm in a few WhatsApp groups. And I said, okay, you guys have been like whacking this particular group. Okay, they can be extreme. Is there any way that you can meet halfway? Oh, no, you're going to wah, 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 wah. Yes, we know that. But I mean, uh, this new book I'm writing about, right? If I'm able to actually have a conversation and you think of this strange girl, you know, I'm actually able to have a conversation and say, look, we don't have to agree with each other's politics, but I want to write about what you feel and believe. If I can do that, why can't you? But there's also that fear, that anger. 
And that's what I keep telling. And I think everyone thinks I'm cuckoo, but the thing is this, you have to approach this from a different lens. When you talk about far-right populist people, of course they're frightening, even I'm so scared of them. But I want to approach them like human beings. Uh, we don't have to like each other, but I want to know what drives you here. When you have you to understand them, and you yeah, have to give them space to, to speak their truth. And when you put this political lens on them, it makes everyone defensive. Yeah. Look, I've been... The far right has taken pot shots at me before. I'm like, ah, panic, 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 you know. But man, what the hell do I do now, you know? But later on, after I calm down, you start thinking, hey, why are you so angry? This is a small thing. And you start thinking, why, 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 why? Is it malice? Why are you so malicious? I mean, these are questions I ask. Why right. are you so cool? Right. Or, I started reading this because I told you I'm writing this book, right? So uh, I'm a slow, you know, I'm a late bloomer. But I came up with this. The politics of resentment, the politics of, of assimilation and acknowledgement. We all want to be acknowledged. Yeah. Maybe that should be the title of your, is it fourth book already? Oh. The title could be The Art of Listening. No, it's going to be called Malay land. I'll probably move to the Philippines. <laughs> Witness protection program. <laughs> Witness protection program. Yeah, I, was, I was really thinking um, when you were describing your attempts to reach out to the other side and how important the art of listening really is and how those of us who were educated in the West uh, aren't really um, supported to in our listening skills. In fact, if you have a Western education, it's more the high flyer coming out with arguments to demolish yeah. the other side. Yeah. And when I look at Eastern education, it is more consensus, which means you, you know, uh, narrow the extreme left and the extreme right until you have yeah. common ground. I mean, both sides have their, uh, you know, pros and, and cons. But yeah. I really think that for those of us who are looking at uh, unification of yeah. our people's uh, establishing uh, peaceful foundations, we have to bolster our, our listening skills. Me, oh. I have less of a problem. I mean, look at my ears. I, I can <laughs> hear. Before we go, Dina. Yes. Just then, so that we end on a, an upbeat note. <laughs> Given that you have a new uh, prime minister, what uh, what's your um, uh, prospect? What do you think is the prospect for your government? And what is your message to... Uh, your fellow Malaysians to ensure that Malaysia does live up to its image in Southeast Asia as, you know, a, a bulwark wow. of stability, progress, and still moderation. Uh, <laughs> as a Malaysian, I'm just going to take it day by day, right? We mm -hmm. have had three, four different prime ministers' governments the last few years. Mm -hmm. I don't know how 
Anwar and Cabinet will fare. But as a Malaysian, I hope they stay around for the next three, four years because I don't think I can deal with another elections or another government, another prime minister. I hope they listen to people on the ground and not the people mm -hmm. who seem to be power brokers, you know, the ones who say, okay, I can do this, I can do that. Right. I think we need to really talk to civil society and people who have this lived experience to say, look, PM, this is what's happening here, you know. For example, public transport. I mean, it's great that our transport minister is going up and down, you know, all these trains and all, but I think we need to do something a bit more than that. Mm -hmm. So I wish them all the best. <laughs> I don't want to be in their shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I want to finish my book. I told myself this. Once I finish this book, I'm not going to write about identity anymore. I'm not going to write about what it means to be Malay Muslim anymore. You write, write about romance, Dina. Romance, right? Block romance Boston. in Malaysia. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I will that do will that. be a bestseller. <laughs> yes, I will do that. <laughs> Thanks yeah. so much, Dina. All right. For, okay. um, for joining us on this yeah. on this episode, talking about understanding Malayness. Yes. And uh, you know, you know, the, the thing is what you are describing describes not just uh, our our friends in Malaysia, but I think it can apply to any country in the world whether they have minority groups or not, because like it or not, as uh, the UN has, uh, has said, you know, extremism, divisions in society uh, is evident everywhere. And we need people like you who try to let us see the other side, get uh -huh. a better understanding of the situation. And like you said, See them as, as human. They have a point of view. You may not agree with them, but at least listen uh, and acknowledge. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so thanks so much, Dina. No, thank until, you. Yeah, until we, no. until we see each other yes. uh, hopefully physically Bali. in KL uh -huh. or hopefully Bali. Yes. <laughs> this is... Uh, this is Amina Rasul, dear listeners. Thank you so much for joining Dina and me. And yes. uh, we hope to see you again next week for another exciting episode on She Talks Peace. Okay. So bye. Bye. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics, the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.